being in the business of marketing means really acting like you are you're running a business. Yes, it's marketing, but it's an aid of business. And I think that's what's really important. Hi, before we get to this week's podcast, I'd like to tell you that Automated Creative are releasing a book called How to Make It in Marketing, Volume 1. It is a collection of the best marketing career advice we've had from over 200 episodes of the Shiny New Object podcast. You'll hear from some of the biggest, brightest and best names in the industry showing you telling you how to grow your career. You can reserve yourself a copy at this URL. So get your pens out. It's bit.ly, so bit.ly forward slash make it in marketing. So that's bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash make it in marketing. But the make it in marketing bit is in capital letters. So bit.ly forward slash lowercase and the rest is make it in marketing uppercase. I think you should get your heads around that. And enjoy. It's a great read. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative. And this is a weekly podcast where I have the mega privilege of interviewing one of marketing's industry leaders. And this week is absolutely no different. I'm on a call with Carveri Kula, who is Vice President, Consumer Marketing, MasterCard, Asia Pacific. Carveri, for anyone who doesn't know who you are or what you do, could you give the audience a bit of background? Absolutely, Tom. And thank you for having me on this podcast. So, Tom, uh, I was an economics student. Uh, that's what I did in university back in India. I wanted to be an economist, but that was not to be. So I went on to work at EMI Virgin. I had just read uh, a book by Richard Branson called Losing My Virginity. I wanted to meet him. And eventually, actually, I did. But it was wonderful to work for his record label for about six years, after which I went to work for Diageo. And I spent uh, 10 years. It's the largest premium spirits drinks business in the world and had quite an incredible life. And it really grounded me in marketing and fundamentals of marketing and commercials as well. And then I moved on to my current employer, MasterCard. As you said, I, I, I take care of marketing and sponsorships here. And uh, it's for the Asia Pacific region. And my job entails, well, creating strong value proposition, I'd say, for our partners and for consumers to drive business goals. And just to clarify, when I talk about partners, I'm talking banks, merchants, and anyone that we can create value for and do business with. So that's me professionally and personally. Well, I've, I've lived in Singapore for seven years. Before that, I was in India. Uh, and uh, my formative years, I was a girl of no fixed address because my father was in the army, uh, which made me highly adaptable to change uh, and and, and give me a really enjoyable life, I have to say. So at the start of this call, you were saying that last night you had a, a really unusual experience with a mentalist. Can you please just remind me what that was about? Absolutely. Well, um, you know, this, this gentleman is a mentalist, which means he does these incredible tricks uh, whereby you uh, he makes you believe that he's reading your mind. But so, for example, he asked me to think of a song and I thought of a really cheesy song. And within three minutes, he told me what song I was thinking. And he did that with a plant and some other things as well. But the more interesting thing, the insight that I was sharing with you, Tom, uh, that struck me, and I'm now going to Google away uh, to glory on this is, uh, it's no magic. He told me that this is just about him 
reading people, not their minds, but reading people and joining the dots really well. And I thought that was fascinating because ultimately as marketers, and even if you're not a marketer, you're, you could be, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a businessman, even if you're a finance person, that's what you're doing. You're joining the dots really well. Uh, and if you're not, then you should get down to joining the dots really well. So that was my experience. Absolutely fascinating. And I'm actually meeting for drinks right after this. So I will tell you more after as well. Apart from drawing marketing analogies from mentalist behavior, what new belief or behavior has had the biggest impact on your work life in the last few years? You know, Tom, I was told uh, by somebody, and I think this was about four years ago, that uh, in our jobs, we aren't exactly saving lives. So whilst it's very important to take what we do seriously and do it really well and with integrity, it's equally important that we don't romanticize the culture of perfection and exhaustion. And the two obviously are interlinked. Now, I'm working on it. I wouldn't say I'm totally there, but it's helped me in a few ways. It's helped me prioritize what's important, and not everything is, as we know. And certainly not everything is important and urgent. And it's created space for me to take on new challenges and also to reflect more, you know, to spend, well, less time doing, because when you reflect more and you plan things well, then you also, for the most part, get them right. And even if you don't get all of it right, you have the ability to finesse because you've thought things through. And finally, I'd say, you know, you, you also uh, trust your team. I mean, it's an important part of not pushing the culture of perfection. It's okay to, to make mistakes, to fail fast and to learn quickly. And, and trusting your team is such an important part of this overall uh, sort of jigsaw puzzle, right? As a leader, uh, you trust them and you nurture them to trust themselves too. And that can only come about if you're not constantly chasing perfection. So that's really helped me, Tom, I'd say. Uh, that's the one one belief that, or, or one behavior that, that I'm still practicing, to be honest. Um, and, uh, and it's helped me a lot. So let's get down to tactics here. What is the best marketing tip that you've ever been given and the one that you share most often? It's a, it's a simple one. It's a pretty simple one, actually, that we are in the business of marketing. And I'm underscoring business here because I think it's really important, no matter which industry we're in. And I worked in, in, in different industries. I've worked in entertainment, in FMCG, and now in payments. No matter how tenuous the link may sometimes be between marketing and the business, it is critical for marketers to think about what they can do to drive real business outcomes. And I think the environment that we're living in and what, we, with what we're witnessing in the world around us, it's become even more important just to connect the dots between marketing actions and business outcomes. Because it's not only going to help us prove our, the ROI, the return on investment to the C-suite and to increase our share of voice in the C-suite, but it, it will also prove that Dialing down marketing investments when the going gets tough, economically speaking, will have a negative impact. So being in the business of marketing means really acting like you are, you're running a business. Yes, it's marketing, but it's an aid of business. 
And I think that's what's really important. And that's that's a marketing tip I, I try to use and, and share with everyone. So how do you talk to the C-suite in a way that makes sense to them when you're not talking about conversion? Because I can imagine going to the C-suite and going, hey, you know, we spent X on paid media. We converted this many new clients. Every new client's worth X and have us an LTV of Y, right? And then the ball go, oh, fantastic. Here's some money. Go and do that thing. Whereas if we spend all of your money on performance, then you're neglecting the brand. But then when you start talking about brand metrics, like we might understand brand metrics between each other because we're in the in the marketing world. When you're talking about the business of marketing, what struggles do you have when you take that kind of progress and brand building up to a C-suite who doesn't understand it in the same way that maybe we do down in the marketing department? Yeah, absolutely. I think firstly, it's about really helping them see the value even of strong brand metrics. So let's talk about brand equity, right? And when I joined MasterCard, I remember going to one of the markets in Southeast Asia and sitting with a customer, a head of cards with with a bank, with a very significant bank, who said to me, well, your brand is not salient enough. I don't see it enough. Tell me, what what do people think about your brand as compared to your competitor? And no doubt, we were starting out. It was one of the smaller markets. And his point was that if if you're not strong enough as far as brand resonance is concerned, then what chance do we have of a partnership that would involve co-creating a product that consumers would actually lap up and would would use? And I think it, it was that experience that was no doubt challenging in that moment, but also really revealing to me the impact of marketing on business. And it was important to come back to the C-suite and socialize that point, share that with the C-suite and say, we need to do a few things because it is important for our brand. We're a payments technology brand, yes. And it's the issuer brand that really carries the weight of driving acquisition and usage. Let's say I'm talking about credit card products here, credit or debit or prepaid for that matter. But this is a customer, a partner telling us it's important for the brand to be strong in order for the consumer, the end user to have confidence in the brand. I think it's conversations like those that gave, that gave me in my early, early years, early, the early phase of my, my life at MasterCard, confidence in just how significant and how important marketing can be to the business. But besides that, Tom, I'd say it's also really thinking about unconventional ways in which marketing can add value. Because the one thing that I I heard a lot, and again, in the formative years as a marketer was marketing is a cost center. But I think sometimes it takes a little bit of what Steve Jobs said, bending reality. You really challenge the norm and you say, what can I do differently? How can marketing become a revenue center? And I know it's not always possible, but sometimes the stars do align. And when I talk about the shiny new object, I can give you an example of that. So maybe I'll save it for that. But is there a way that you can influence product? Is there a way that you can partner another function and take what they're doing to your partners or to the end user in an effective way? Because what good is a product if you cannot communicate it effectively? right? And that's the job of marketing. So it's those conversations that really help, but really it's a learning journey. Uh, I don't think there's any definitive response to it. It depends on the industry you're in. I think what's most important is to sit back and say, 
I'm taking off my marketer's hat. I'm not just a marketer. I am an entrepreneur. I'm a business person. Now, I have so much budget and I need to drive business goals. The link here is tenuous. How far can I go? It may not be all the way down from consideration to conversion in the funnel, but how far and how deep can I go to have an impact? I think that is a good starting point. And from there, you can get to places where, where, the, where the linkage becomes more and more tangible. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Manfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. I would love to stay on this topic for the rest of the podcast, but we can't. I would not be delivering on the promise of the product itself. So we are going to talk about your shiny new object now, which is gaming. And I've been a bit light on you here because... That's not a shiny new object, but I've got a feeling you're going to talk about it in the context of it being a shiny new object. So why is gaming your shiny new object today? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to tell, I'm, I'm going to tell you a bit of a story and talk about our journey, um, you know, in gaming uh, at MasterCard. Uh, so I'm going to go back to 2020, Tom, which is when I joined the regional function. I was working in Southeast Asia and then I joined Asia Pacific to take care of marketing and sponsorships. The pandemic had already hit. This was June 20, May or June 2020. And I looked at the portfolio of sponsorships that we have. And it's a very, very significant portfolio across 10 passion points. So there is sport, there is music, there's food, et cetera, et cetera. And it was all about the way we leverage this portfolio is by really helping people experience the power of these sponsorships. So imagine going to UFA Champions League, Australia Open, walking the red carpet at the Grammy Awards, so on and so forth. But what are you going to do when people can't go anywhere? You can't take people to these events. And the only organically digital sponsorship we had was a partnership with Riot, a multi-year partnership that we had, the League of Legends. We were the first global sponsors of the most viewed and played esport in the world at that point in time called the League of Legends. So we decided to deep dive into it and say, what was the opportunity, not only within eSport alone, which is competitive gaming, but the entire gaming industry. And we found when we dug into the data that it's a $200 billion industry. So that was an opportunity. We wanted more. We wanted more than just the eSport share of the pie. On the other hand, there was a challenge, of course, that was induced by the pandemic. People were not going anywhere. And they were not using their miles, their loyalty points, right? The reward points that they were gaining on whichever loyalty platforms they may be uh, using, which meant that the liability on the books of the loyalty platforms was increasing. So think of a bank and you've got 100,000 points on your card. And you're not able to use those, burn those points anywhere because you're not flying, you're not staying in hotels, you're not you know, going for experiences where you would typically burn those points. 
We juxtaposed the, 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 the challenge and the opportunity next to each other and said, what can we do about this? And after a few months of brainstorming, we came up with an idea to create a conversion engine. And the conversion engine would convert loyalty points to gaming currency across, across thousands of gaming titles. Well, it sounds really simple and it really is very, very simple, right? You're essentially just creating yet another reward category, but one that was really hot and one that was uh, that had received a fillip all thanks to the pandemic, because that's what people were, go uh, were doing. And uh, this gaming product is called the MasterCard Gamer Exchange. It is something that we have created right here in, in, in Singapore. Uh, but it can be deployed in 75 countries around the world. Uh, it is in beta mode at the moment. So we're going to go live soon, fingers crossed. Uh, we are testing and, um, and, and making sure that the UX is completely refined before we go live. But I think to me, this is, this is an example of what marketing can do when we, when we, a little bit go against the grain in terms of hey listen we're not just we're not just about communication and messaging and campaigns yes that's important it's an important part of what we do but what is it that we can do differently how can we drive revenue and this product has helped us drive many partnerships with players beyond just financial institutions so it has increased the scope of partnerships for us and it has I would like to believe at least increase our share of voice in the C-suite. The results are yet to be seen. We have to stay humble uh, in terms of, you know, waiting and watching and, and really hoping uh, that it does well. And I believe it will. So what was the hardest thing in getting this all set up? <sighs> oh, wow. Uh, it, was, uh, it was just uh, the, the cross-functional alignment that was needed because you may have a fantastic idea, but you need champions who will help uh, get this idea off the ground. It took us almost a year and a half to really get everyone together to align to this product, to align to this idea, the investment that it needed, and uh, to find the champions who would also help socialize this uh, to external partners and uh, and help it go live. So I think all of it was challenging, but also tremendously enriching. For me, it was a crash course in, in just cross-functional alignment, understanding what all the functions do, how they can support, uh, the potential challenges and questions that may come up, how I may be able to answer those questions alongside the team. There was a huge amount of teamwork. And uh, it was, as I said, it was challenging, but but all wonderful at the same time. And if you're going to do it again, what would you do differently? Huh. I would be less ambitious about time <laughs> to market. I think, well, soon after we created the product, we thought it was ready to go live in, in a few weeks' time. And it's taken, it's taken months uh, because it's also taken a, a lot of uh, sort of legal processes and uh, data privacy processes. Of course, everything that we do has to be absolutely transparent, absolutely kosher. So I would be a little bit less ambitious about that and more realistic, which would put less pressure on my team and on myself. I think that is one thing I would do differently. So what it sounds like to me, and I'm, I'm being skeptical here, so excuse my tone, but it seems like when you went into lockdown, you didn't really have a choice but to do this. And I think it's fantastic that you have. And I, I like the way you use the word humble, and it might be a success, and I don't 
at this point see why it wouldn't be. But it seems to me that in my past as an innovation person, there's either like innovation that you can run towards, like an, a new thing that you can leap on, or you're sort of on a burning platform and you have to innovate your way off it. And it seems like to me that you were in a terrible situation where all of, all of your sponsorships were real life events and people were going anywhere, people weren't spending any of those points. But yet you had this they had this like jewel in the crown, which was this this uh, League of Legends partnership. So how much of this innovation do you think was successful because you had to versus uh, the fact that you wanted to? Yeah, that's a great question, Tom. Um, and I think, let, 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 me, let me give an example of what we could have continued doing. We did not, we could have done without innovating. Let me put it that way, right? So we could have kept cruising and we could have simply done uh, virtual experiences, which we had started to do. So the one thing we did when we had to pivot away from physical experiences was we took them, we just took them onto a virtual platform called prices.com and uh, worked very closely with the global function uh, to do things such as a Zoom call with a football coach, um, you know, uh, virtual experiences with world famous chefs coming together with tennis players, you know, and the tennis player would say, as we did one with Naomi Osaka, then Van Ambassador. And uh, she cooked a really incredible meal uh, with uh, with a world-class chef. We could have continued doing that. The quantum of experiences would have gone up. We would have had an, a really good pipeline of experiences. I think with an eSport, we could have done more with League of Legends, again, purely on the digital platform. So we could have done more of the same. That was that was eminently possible, and I would say it was it was easier to do. It was a path of least resistance, if I had to call it that. But we decided to create a product, like I said, not remain within the conventional realms of marketing, but go beyond it and say, how do we create something from scratch, not something marketing is expected to do, and take it to the world. This is about giving people access to 3,000 gaming titles by simply burning their reward points, which otherwise they were not burning. So that's how I would answer your question. Um, it was uh, it was interesting. And I think it helped that all the stars aligned, right? The, the ideation happened. The insights were found. We interrogated the data that we saw to hit upon the insights. And, uh, and off we went to create the product. So unfortunately, we are at the end of the podcast now and about just like to congratulate you on being so open about your work it's quite often with guests on the podcast that rightly so they can't talk about work for cold comms reasons but you've given us a really honest inside view of a new product that you haven't even proved worked or not yet and so i absolutely congratulate you on your transparency there and i wish you all of the best of success for it but if someone else wanted to talk to you about gaming or about any of the other topics that we've covered on today, how would you like them to get in touch with you and what makes a brilliant outreach message to you that you will actually reply to? Oh, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn anytime. Um, I would love to interact with you. Yes, there are so many messages on LinkedIn. So it's nice when someone adds a little note and tells me what they'd like to talk about and keeps it really brief and pithy. So I think that would be that would be good enough to get my attention. But I'd love to talk to people. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tom. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Hi, 
Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything. I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.